I believe that we are the guardians of a treasure that is called Judaism, a treasure that belongs to our children. This treasure has been passed on to us and it's our privilege to enjoy it, to cherish it, to grapple with it, to walk on a journey with it, and also to share it, to pass this treasure along to the next generation for them to discover it. Shalom, friends. Welcome to Raising Jewish Kids, the podcast for parents, educators, and spiritual leaders interested in children's journey in Judaism. My name is Evelyn Goldfinger, also known as Miss Eve, and I am so happy that you're here. Ruchim Abayim, welcome. Lagba Omer Sameach, may we pause and find and share more light with this world. How are you bringing more light into this world, friend? Are you allowing yourself to shine? How are you empowering children to find and share their light? I am so excited to share with you that my book signing is coming up Sunday, May 21st, 10.30 a.m., a fun-filled family Meet the Author program where I, Miss Eve, and my puppet friends will be presenting Words from My Heart, the Hanson Jewish prayer book, along with a Traveling Alfajor by Romina Naparstek. We will be here at MARJCC North Miami. If you'd like more information or to join us, it is a free, fantastic event. Just email me, toratron at gmail.com, or you can find me at shalomeve.com. And I also will be performing live, which I love, a live performance open to everybody on May 18th, celebrating Yom Yerushalayim with a special trip to Israel with Missive and her puppet friends. So come join. It's interactive. It's fun. It's theatrical. And kids do need that. Theater. It's so inspiring. You can sneak a peek at www.shalomif.com. So today we have Rabbi David Paskin with us with an uplifting and deep conversation. Rabbi David is a rock star and you want to listen till the end. But before that, some quick top tips for this week's Sefirah, which is Yesod Foundation. And yes, we are getting closer to Shavuot, as you know. So you may want to ask yourself, what values are important to you? How can you build your life around them and inspire your kids in your life, whether at home or at school, to live by good and honest and productive values? So here are my top four for today, slash top five, because the first one, it's like a double one. Number one, time to take out those Legos or building blocks. Build a strong foundation that can hold a tall tower. How high can you go? And this is the second part. With older kids, play Jenga and see what happens when you remove the upper pieces and what happens when you have an unstable base. It's not the same thing, right? It makes the whole difference what happens with that base, with that foundation. Number two, go for a walk outside and take a good look at the trees. Talk about the roots and how they help trees resist even the strongest of winds sometimes. Number three, Make a rainbow of values. Decide on seven things that are super important to you and that you try to live by every day. Number four, make a list of 10 habits and circle the ones that are most important to you. 
make sure to add them to your routine. And now, chaverim, let's welcome together Rabbi David Paskin. Raising Jewish Kids is brought to you by my new book, Words from My Heart, the hands-on Jewish prayer book. Words from My Heart presents an interactive approach to spirituality and Jewish prayer for children. It's a hands-on scrapbook-style book that includes activities, games, songs, Hebrew words, prayers, and more. You can check it out at shalomeve.com. David Paskin, or Rabbi David, as he is known, is an accomplished spiritual leader, singer-songwriter, Jewish futurist, social activist, and award-winning Jewish edutainer. Prior to moving to Florida, David served as the rabbi and spiritual leader of Temple Beth Abraham in Canton, Massachusetts, for 17 years. David currently serves as a director of youth education at Temple Sinai of North Dade and as the Educational Director of the Institute of Jewish Knowledge and Learning in Broward County. With an extensive and impressive tra trajectory, David is an early adopter and technologist. He has produced hundreds of videos on Facebook and YouTube with well over half a million views. David shares his love for technology and Torah in his weekly Torah Tech Tips videos. David's accomplishments in Jewish education were recognized when he received the Keter Award, the Keter Torah Award from the Bureau of Jewish Education in Massachusetts, among other recognitions. Well, you heard it here. He's absolutely amazing. He's here with us today and he will be talking about what children have to teach us right here at Raising Jewish Kids. This is so crazy. Wait, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can, can I, this is my first Instagram Live Ever. That's a huge, um, what is it, honor for me because you are a technologist and oh, a man. adopter. So this is like, whoa. Well, I'm, the Torah, I'm the Torah tech guy and I've never done an Instagram live. I'm so excited to be here with you, Miss Eve. Uh, your humbleness, it's amazing. And this is like Rabbi David, by the way. He is so, like, you have to understand where he's right now, it's like a studio with tons of tech things that I cannot even name. And he's humble enough to say, hey, I'm learning a new thing. And I think that's one of the first things that we can just learn from this conversation is you, we are always students. We're always, always learning. And I have to tell you, so Instagram Live breaks every rule of streaming, right? I have, my phone is in portrait mode, never. Don't wear earbuds, never. Don't have proper light. Like, It's breaking every rule, and I love it. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go off, off script, and I'm just going to say, oh, Mitch Gordon, Mitch Gordon is here. Hi, Mitch. How are you? So glad you're joining us. So, wait. Before we dive in, I just read that on your uh, WhatsApp, it says that you're a spiritual gangster. So, I'm going to start just with what does it mean? <laughs> I have no idea. So someone gave me a shirt once that said spiritual gangsta and I loved it. So I just started using that. Yeah, I, I, um, I, maybe, maybe it's that, you know, the hip hop community is, um, is a community where they like to break things and rebuild them and break them and rebuild them and constantly innovate and, and find new ways to, to uh, spread the love. And, and that's, Maybe that's where that comes from, right? That I like to, um, I like to break spiritual things 
so that I can understand them and then build them back up again so they're really relevant and meaningful to me. That's beautiful. Do you like Lego for any reason? Because it oh, sounds I love, like... I love Legos. I was more, though, of a Lincoln Logs kind of guy. Is that another brand? I'm sorry. Okay. We just saw the age difference between Miss Eve and David Paskin. Lincoln Logs? The little wooden logs in your build have... Oh, forget it. <laughs> okay, I know about wooden logs. Also remember, there's a cultural difference. That's I'm not true also. Fixed, so, yes. you know. <laughs> but I love that. I love the fact that you, you, you get the building blocks because it, Judaism has lots of them. Like I was studying Tamiya Miami Grand, you have the building blocks on how we chant Torah. We have the Torah Hebrew, the, the letters, which are the building blocks of our words, like in every language, but in Torah... Um, it has like a spiritual charge to that. Um, we, yeah, I, I, and it's so amazing to, to just learn that. And I was wondering, we'll talk about spirituality already for a few minutes here. Um, what are the building blocks of Jewish spiritual, spirituality? Wow. Uh, the building blocks of Jewish spirituality. Um, well, actually, in my wonderment at your question, I answered the question. I would say that there's one fundamental building block, and it's the word wow. It's the word wow. Um, Mitch just wrote it in the chat, although that was from earlier. Wow, right? That that every and of course Heschel called it. Um, it was radical, radical amazement, radical amazement, right? But I mean, the kitsur, you know, in short, it's just wow. Like if we can look at the world, forget. Tfilah, forget Hebrew, forget ritual, forget all of the structures that help us to express our wow. If we just get rid of all those for a moment and instead just open yourself up to the idea that that tree or that leaf or that dirt or that rock or that whatever, like, wow, I mean, it's just, I can I give you a silly example? Okay, this is a silly and ridiculous example. I am amazed every day that my glasses fit on my head. Like, it, is, it blows my mind that my nose is here, my ears are here, and that they all are in the right place to allow my glasses to fit right there over my eyes. Now, I'm not naive. I understand that we made the glasses to fit on this, but still, like, wow. So to me, that's sort of the... That's where it all starts. And that's why being with kids, learning from kids, teaching kids is so, what, what a blessing because all they have is wow. And we need to learn that again from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. You know that this is one of my four words in words from my heart. So I, I, I'm, of course, totally up for that. It's like, I, it's almost like you planted me here to, to pitch that to you. That's fantastic. I did not. I so did not. <laughs> But I guess we are in sync. I mean, these are like some of the fundamental Legos. I heard someone, I think it was at the um, documentary with uh, Stats on Netflix. Is I found it quite brilliant, actually. It's about this um, psychologist. And I think what he said is that the fundamental thing to connect with God is gratefulness. Mm. As I get more young at heart, I would say, you know, I start to realize that a fundamental thing, if I had to define it, 
is gratitude, which yeah. is embedded in Yehudi, but it's not that different, right? When you are wow, the next thing that you say maybe, exactly. thank exactly. you, thank you for letting me be a part of it, be witnesses for, for having you. Right. <laughs> it struck me that you said about the glasses that they fit and not the fact that they can actually fix or help you with your sight, which is- Oh no, that's secondary. The fact that they have a place to go on my head is amazing. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Wow leads to gratitude. If you have a, re if you really do have a wow moment, a radical, a moment of radical amazement, I don't know how the next thing to come out of your mouth can't be, thank you, thank you for this. What a gift! And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read what Mitch has wrote in the, the chat, which is, I so agree. And wow, it's like the living in Shecheyanu moment. Yeah, my my mother-in-law, every time I see her, every time I see her, we sit down for dinner, she says a Shecheyanu, every time. Because for her, every moment is a Shecheyanu moment. Right? Wow. And that really brings me to the Moldeani, when you just said that every time I open my eyes, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. That's right. How can we live with this consciousness throughout the crisis? I mean, you found a way, you work with kids. It's, yeah, but it's hard. It really is hard. I was just teaching yesterday, actually. I was teaching an introduction to Judaism class. And um, what were we talking about? We were talking about, oh, about God's name and how, uh, is it okay if I give this little Torah? Is that is that okay? Oh, I don't, okay, I don't want to derail us. So, I'm, I'm just a decoration here. You oh, okay, want beautiful. to hear you. Beautiful decoration and, and wise also. So uh, if you look at God's name, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, lots of people have tried to pronounce it, right? We use Adonai, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses use Jehovah. There's in scholarly circles, they'll talk about Yahweh. But I believe it's Rabbi Arthur Waskow said, if you really were to try and pronounce that word, which, of course, we don't know how to, and you really can't because of the vocalization. But if you were to give it a shot, it would sound something like this. Now, that's beautiful in and of itself. But think for just a moment about what that means. That means that every time we breathe, we are saying the ineffable name of God that should never be said. Certainly not in, you know, in, in flirtatious or, or, you know, light ways. Every breath that you take, everything you do, every thought, you, like every breath is, is, is God. And so we were talking about this last night. And, and I said to them, I said, I think that in some ways it would almost be impossible to live with that much of an awareness It certainly would be very, very difficult. And, and, and I think the same is true for Modani or Shecheyanu or wow moments. I think it's, it is so easy to get distracted and to forget how lucky we are to be breathing, to be here. Forget, and again, you know, yeah, the glasses help me see. Instagram is letting us have a conversation from dozens of miles away and people all over the world are able to say, I mean, uh, that's a whole different level but I'm breathing and I'm standing and I'm thinking and I'm talking and I'm listening and all these things that we just never imagine what it would be like to go through life with every breath, with an awareness that every breath is God's name, with an awareness that every breath is something worth being thankful for. 
That's so powerful, um, David. And I was thinking of Psalm 150. I don't know if that's an echo. Can you hear it like a when I talk? That's probably okay? my, that's, that may be my air. I can't hear anything. My air conditioning just kicked on, so maybe that. <laughs> okay. That's one of the perks of being in Florida. If everybody else is watching and freezing, we are sorry, not sorry, right? Yeah, right. Um, so Psalm 150, hallelujah, right? Let every, I said, breathing. So, so it's, it's like that. But I was also thinking about, we, it's, it will be really hard to live our lives without awareness. And I think that's one of the differentiations that we have with angels. Because angels have that awareness of God constantly, they don't have free will. Because if you were like certain 100%, and maybe you are, but you know what I'm saying, like, you know, see God in his face. And you can hear, like, like if you hear, I don't know, I'm going to say your mother, right? You will see your mom, mom, your mom tells you, do this, don't do that. I mean, chances are, right, and you say this, this being is God, you won't have much free will. And I think that's what our rabbis teach us about uh, the angel, right? So it's a blessing to be able not to always have that into consideration so that we can come back to that wow, to that connection. Yeah. Um, maybe that's there's part of our job. Yeah, there's a beautiful, uh, I don't remember where it is, so forgive me. There's a beautiful teaching about a, a rabbi who, or a, someone who, um, I think in, in the Talmud maybe, who was just, you know, everything was hard and he couldn't decide and he was pulled. His Yitzhar Hara, his evil inclination was kind of pulling him in all these directions. And his prayer was, God, please make me like an angel for one day. Be, and, and, and that's because angels, they don't have to worry about any of that stuff, right? But here's the flip side. In, the prophet, in prophetic literature, angels are called omdim, standers. People are called holchim, movers, shakers. So it might be nice for a while to just be able to stand, to not have to worry, to not have questions, to have full faith, to all of that. But boy, I wouldn't want to be there too long. I want to move. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to lech lecha. I want to shlach lecha. I want all the lechas. I want to, that's, that's what it's all about to me, is that moving. And that's my daughter, Dahlia. Hi, Dahlia. Hi, Dahlia. Thank you so much for joining us. Wow. Um, speaking about parents and children, what an is to have her here, huh? So let's talk about kids a little bit. And what you, you decided for this, we decided, but you decided when we said, what are we going to talk about? There's so much that we can talk about with Rabbi David, not to mention puppets. Maybe we'll touch base on that later. But what... Um, what kids, children have to teach us. So I was wondering, what do you think when you think about that? And maybe you could share with us an example of something, one thing, many things that children have taught you. Oh, I'll share with you an example from this morning. So one of my teachers had to come and uh, call out sick. And so I ended up in a two-year-old classroom this morning. And um, there was a, uh, a puzzle of a Hanukkah for Hanukkah. And um, so each, uh, each candle was a piece of the puzzle, and then there were other pieces around it. And one of the pieces around it was a sort of a slender, somewhat curved piece. Okay, we're playing with the puzzle. I've got six kids around me, and we notice one of the candles is missing. The shamash 
is missing. So I took the kids and we got magnifying glasses and we were looking around the room for the shamash and I had no idea where it was. It was under the table probably somewhere. And we're looking around for it. And then we come back to the table and one of the kids takes that long, slender, curved piece that was not the candle and says, and didn't actually say it, and put it in the place of the shamash. Now, I am, and my daughter will attest to this, I am a type A, you know, in charge, things go where they go. I redo the dishwasher every night when I get home because I want, that's the kind of guy I am. But this beautiful moment of this child taking this piece that didn't belong there, but it was long and slender, like a candle. He put it right in there and it was perfect. And our Hanukkah was done, was complete. It was it was so instructive. And and the thing about kids is that like kids, I need to keep learning things over and over and over again. I, I my retention is not very good. And I think that's because I'm old and set in my ways. But it's really important for me to after I have converse, adult conversations, like with you or with you know, Rabbi Litwack that I'm, I'm getting on a live with, with him after this, I have found for myself that it is very important for my emotional health and for my spiritual growth to go play puzzles with the little kids. Because they remind me that not everything has to be like this, that we can be more creative we can think outside the box. We can do all these wonderful things that, that I, again, because I'm, uh, I'm an, old, an, an old guy, um, I'm, and so set my ways that I wouldn't necessarily think to do. And so one of the most important lessons is stop being stuck. Get unstuck and do things differently. Paint with Legos. Paint with Legos. Right. Glue with um, or paint with we painted with dreidels this week. The kids, we put paint in. We dipped the kids dipped dreidels in paint and then they would spin them to see what the paint would do. Like Paint with dreidels. Don't just spin dreidels. Paint with dreidels. So that I think is that's an important lesson for me. One important lesson. That's beautiful. Um, I'm coming from a person who's always trying to grow. Like you define yourself as a spiritual gangster. Not everybody does that or, you know, or, or, or take that phrase. But you, you, you think that, like, wait, what was it in your bio? Uh, a Jewish futurist. Like, Jewish futurist, yeah. Still and still, uh, there's so much more that, that, that we can do if we just pause and pay attention. And yeah. we're talking again about the wow moment. And I always think about Moshe. And I love this teaching that many of us can pass through something that is on fire, right? On a tree that's on fire, a bush that's on fire. But in order to realize what the Torah said is, and Moshe realized that it wasn't consumed, it wasn't being consumed, he couldn't just buy a spice. He had to look and stare and pay attention and pause. And what I love about the Hanukkah story that you just shared is that, is that um, sometimes with kids, we want them to get to certain things. Like we want them, we, we, we are wired to get the answer, not only with kids, with us. It's not about process, it's about product. So just to say, you know what? No, it doesn't have to be the way it's supposed to be and be different. And we don't need to complete the puzzle even if we don't want to. 
That's right. Uh, sometimes it's a stretch for many of us. I know sometimes it's for me when I'm teaching to remember whatever happened. It's okay. We'll get to whatever lesson, right? I'm not saying everything has to be a valagant mess, but what I'm saying is just forget being so goal-oriented. Right. Here, here's, here's a little something for you. Whenever a child shows me a piece of artwork, I never ask them, tell me what that is. I never ask what it is because maybe it's nothing or maybe it's something. Instead, I say, tell me about your art or tell me about the colors you chose or tell me about that line. It's so thick. And of course, I'm talking about little babies here and, you know, little kids. But the idea that asking, tell me, tell me what you drew, that's a closed question because there's an answer. I don't care about answers. I don't want answers. I want questions. I want open-ended growth mentality, right? So when I ask her to tell me about your picture, what that does is it allows them to tell me anything they want. They could tell me the paper about the paper or the color or something that doesn't have anything to do with their, with their painting even or their, or their artwork. Um, there's something about focusing on process art, rather than product art, specifically in art, but in everything really, that is really, really important. And, and another, I think, great, you, you know you're in a school where process art is, a, is more important than product art if every child doesn't come home with the same exact project, if they're all able to look a little different. You know, if you're making Hanukkiot, maybe one child chooses to use um, pasta, another child chooses to use sticks, Another child chooses to use pretzel rods. If every child is able to make conscious choices about the process, their creative process, then that shows up in the product. And I mean, just think about how much more rich the conversations about that product will be because of the process that was allowed to, to be celebrated. Yeah, I agree. And it's great to keep that in mind when we are parenting and educating and, you know, in that mode, because we have such big responsibility, which again, it's not about goal. It's about helping. We are like doulas. We are educational doulas, right? Or Socrates, right? We're trying to get the answer from within. Uh, So, yeah. And this, this is why I, I still have a daughter who's, who's in, She's finishing eighth grade, and uh, my other two are, are grown up and, and gone. But um, I get so frustrated when she comes home from school and has, you know, has memorized data points or, or has, you know, has it, it just we all of education needs to look more like preschool, if you ask me. <laughs> we just need to let the kids play, play, create, ask questions, get dirty. That you want to teach your kids, just give them. We have an engineering garden in the front here. Uh, it's basically two four by eight planters. I went to Home Depot. I bought a whole bunch of PVC fittings and pipes and stuff, and I threw it in there. And the kids go out there and they just build the most amazing things with it. It's so cool. There's no purpose to it whatsoever. There's no end game. I have no idea what they're going to create. They just do it. And they learn about size. They learn about shape. They learn about cooperation. They learn about, you know, all these different things that happens very naturally when they're playing. 
That's beautiful. It reminded me of this book by Robert Felgum. Um, Everything I Need to Know I Learned from Kindergarten. Sure. <laughs> I used yeah. that in my Madrija years. Yeah. So, so like the whole book, but especially that article. It's so beautiful. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, David, I wanted to ask you, because you are um, an early adopter of technologies, and we had this conversation a while ago about what pandemic um, did to us, happened to us, whatever what we went through, and where we are now. So whether you want to share with us from an educator perspective, like how is education uh, has changed with kids, how are kids changed, or if you want to talk about a little bit more about education and and being present through technology because I know you're big on that um and I, I love learning more from you uh from that perspective even though we have personal differences this is great because i'm more an in-person person and you i guess you're more uh, a virtual person yeah yeah that's, i guess we were talking with naomi last last week this is community this is not everybody being just like me it's being right. inclusive and saying we are different we have different needs and how can we coexist there, be friends, you know. Yeah. So, please. We'll Absolutely. Well, let me just say about the technology thing. I, I am a tech head and I love this stuff, but I leave the technology to the big kids, to you and me. I, I don't I don't think it really has a place in preschool. Uh, kids, These kids get enough screen time at home. They don't need any more in school. I would much rather them play in the dirt than play on an iPad. So, so that's the technology piece. As for where we are today, given the pandemic, I have to tell you, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. I think that kids, we are seeing these pandemic kids, children born during the pandemic, who are coming to us with more behavioral issues, with more anxiety. We're seeing the parents have more anxiety. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's worrying. It really is. And not wearing in a, oh, we should have done this, but just life sometimes throws you curveballs. And I think we've been dealt a curveball. And I don't know that we're going to really understand what this means for a while. Um, incidentally, for older kids, I think it has ruined, maybe not completely ruined, but it has severely wounded the idea of um, community. For, for young kids. Youth groups, I think, are really struggling. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think our world changed. It was, look, the pandemic didn't cause any of this, but it exacerbated it and it accelerated it. We've been going in this direction for a long time and we've been, we've been ignoring it. That's why I call myself a futurist. I'm much more interested in what's going to happen tomorrow than what's happening today. Because I don't want to react to what happens tomorrow. I want to create what happens tomorrow. So, um, and I think that for synagogues to survive and thrive, for programs to survive and thrive, they have to start creating the future, not waiting for it to happen. Um, so um, I think that uh, the pandemic exacerbated and accelerated all of this. And we really are going to have to and a lot of folks are doing this already, but we have to continue to think really deeply about what do our children need now? 
What different needs do they have now? What, how, has their, how have their learning styles perhaps changed? How have parenting styles changed? And how can we support parents who have PTSD from, from um, the pandemic? Um, so I actually think a lot has changed, not for the better, unfortunately. Um, but um, it's, you know, uh, I can't see who said this because I'm afraid to touch my phone. But someone just said um, about uh, kids diff having difficulty interacting socially. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, here's the good news. So the good news is, is that in preschool, that's really all that we have to teach is, is, is socialization and interaction, right? I mean, that's, of course, we teach letters and numbers and, and all that stuff, but that really isn't the core. The core of what we're doing here is teaching children how to socialize, how to understand where their body ends and where another person's body begins, things like that. Um, our older kids, I think in that realm, they were set back a number of years because of the pandemic. And I don't, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, that is that is a real that has stumped me. I've been thinking deeply about it for well over a year now, and um, I've talked with lots of people, and I just I, I don't know what to do about that. M maybe there's nothing to do. Maybe it's just going to take time to recalibrate. But um, it's it's challenging. It really is. It is. Um, I always think that what we went through with the pandemic is no short of what the dinosaurs went through with extinction or each time yeah. by oh, there was like the ice age or whatever it was that we or you know uh, a plague we've been through a modern plague and uh that changes society of course it's world thing. so it's like yeah the dinosaurs maybe not thank god extinguished but you know there was a meteorite or something right. so our lives our reality is there's a forever, you know, before and after. There has to be. Right. Um, and by the way, the person who said about the interact socially, I just want to say the Shombro, it's me. Thank you. Uh, okay, thank you. Thank um, you. By the way, we should also say, Missy, that, that the counter argument to all this is that Jews have always been the ever-dying people. And, you know, in every generation, we thought this was the end. We're going to be fine. Everyone, it's all going to be okay. It's a little bumpy now, and we're going to have new challenges. We're going to have to come up with new ways of educating and learning and interacting and all that stuff, but we're going to be okay. We got this. So I, I'm thinking in with God is and creating our future. How would you create your future or the future? And, and maybe let's go back to the Jewish communities. Um, how would you create that? What do you think it's necessary? Or personally, David said, you know what? If it, if it were up to me, this is what I would do. This is how I want to create the future. Sure. So a number of years ago, Kerry Olitsky wrote a book called Playlist Judaism, which is a really great book. And the basic argument, at least as I understood it, of Playlist Judaism is that when I was growing up, if I wanted a song, I had to buy the album, the whole album, right? Um, or at the very least, I could get a 45 with a, just a B-side. 45 was a record. I could get a 45 uh, with a B-side. So I, I could never just buy that song. And then we got cassettes ta cassette tapes. And I could make mixtapes. I remember making a mixtape for my wife, right? But that took a lot of work to build my own mixtape. Young folks have never, have not grown up with that. They want a song, they get it on Spotify. 
They want a song, they get it on iTunes. And they build their own playlists. So the essential argument, again, as I understand it, is we need to create a Judaism that is built around allowing people to create their own playlists. But I would take that a step further. And I would argue that we don't need playlist Judaism. We need open source Judaism. So open source, and this now we're coming back to the technology, and this is going to sound like I really know what I'm talking about, but trust me, I don't. Open source basically means that everybody has access to the sausage, to the nuts and bolts, to how it's built. And then they can take those core components and create their own version of that thing. If you think about Android, the operating system Android, lots of different folks have taken that and forked it and made it their own. I think that we need open source Judaism. I think that, I'll give you an example. When, uh, when I was growing up, the, or actually forget when I was growing up, even in the past 10 years, the message that we Jewish professionals told parents was, drop your kids off at um, religious school. We'll teach them. Don't worry about it. We got it. We'll teach them. That was the worst thing to do. Because all we did is rob parents of the capacity to teach their own children about Judaism. We said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. We stole that away from them. We stole the obligation away from them, which would have led at least some of them to actually engage in that practice. So open source Judaism says, you know what? We're going to give you, we're going to provide for you a, um, a platform. We're going to provide for you a, um, uh, you know, uh, we're going to put the feast out but then you are going to not just choose the things that you like to eat, but you're going to actively play a role in creating your own Jewish identity and the Jewish identity that, that we want to build together as in this community. So I think we need to radically open up Judaism. I think rabbis have to get off the bima. I haven't led from a bima in years. I, that separation to me is just, I, I don't like it at all. We have to get off the bim up. We have to start playing with children. We have to start mixing things up. And this doesn't mean, you know, that you can throw away the stuff that you don't like. I'm a big believer that there's a lot of stuff in Judaism and Torah that I don't like, but it's still part of Judaism. It's still mine. I have to wrestle with it. I can't just ignore it and pretend it's not there. Really diving into open source code, open source Judaism, means that there are going to be bugs in the code, and you can't just ignore them. You've got to figure them out. You have to figure out ways around them. It, this is so interesting because it also, yes, we're talking about technology, and it seems so far off, but it brings us back ultimately at bad. I'm going to call them Legos because, you know, or the wooden box. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> Legos. I'm going to go with Legos. I'm sorry, Rabbi. <laughs> but it brings us back to the Legos. So to the first question, which are the building blocks? Because if we can provide, right, the building blocks, and they're not, it, it's like Legos. It's like sort of unlimited, right? Yeah. yeah. But there are specific and they, they re, there has to be compatible. It's not like, you know, Judaism is, even Starbucks has its own, you know, there's some things that you cannot do, right? What I'm saying is like, yes, you can create your own, but at the same time, there has to be a container. Otherwise, you know, there, yeah. there are no boundaries. And, and, and this is why we have a, a goof, right? A body to contain our soul. Otherwise, we'll be 
amorphous lost in space and, right. and this is not what the experience is about. So it's not that far off from when you're starting, which is give them the building blocks and let them build and be players. And, and I so agree with the fact that you cannot take away education from the house, like at home. That's, I mean, schools are great and we, we thank all of the teachers for letting us work, grown-ups, <laughs> right? But at the end of the day, and, and for guiding, I learned so much from the teachers, you know, from my kid. Other things. But at the end of the day, you need to do the work at home. You cannot just outsource that. It doesn't, right? right? So this is... And by, the, and by the way, we haven't just done that with education, Right. Synagogues have built a sukkah. So why does anyone need to have a sukkah at home? Because the synagogue says, come eat dinner in our sukkah. And then the synagogue hosts a seder. I don't need to do it at home. I just come to the synagogue seder. I'm not suggesting that synagogue shouldn't do any of these things. But we should never do them at the expense of putting the home first. We should never do them at the expense of taking away the sense of ownership, the sense of obligation, the sense of... um, you know, I'm going to dig into this and figure out how to do this in my own life for my own family. We should never take that away. We should find ways to do these things in synagogue settings for the sake of bringing community together, for the sake of allowing folks to take their personal practices and then share those with others. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying we didn't do it thoughtfully, I think. And it, it is, it's backfiring a little. I think, I think that we just said so beautiful because it combines both work at home and about. It's such an interesting point to me that sometimes when we give and we give and we give, we also take. Mm-hmm. We disempower. That's, that's beautiful, yeah. Right? It's like for children. If you give them all the answers, they won't learn. That's right. They will be fearful to try. They will fearful to make a mistake and not get the answer right. This is what there's I'm a, at home. There's a reason why we have four questions on Pesach and not four answers. There's a reason for that. That's beautiful. So I guess my last questions to you, to you, Rabbi, if you had something else, but this, this conversation has been so powerful. And I think we have so many of the building blocks for the future. Uh, thanks to you and to all other people who are saying, you know what, we create something greater. You always ask, what's your Torah? So I'm going to throw the question back at you. What's your Torah today or this year or for the future? Oh, you're not supposed to, not supposed to do that. Um, <laughs> do you remember that? One of the you, puppets to just distract. No, no, no. Did you, <laughs> to distract him, did you ever watch The West Wing? No, but the it's series? not my to watch oh, Come on. You've got to watch it. You've got to watch it. There's a great episode where... The, one of the presidents, um, uh, it, there's an upcoming election. One of his, um, what do you call it, uh, opponents, um, one of the other candidates, is asked the question, they call it. The question is, why do you want to be president? And this other guy who's running for president, you know, doesn't have a good answer. He just, it, it's a terrible answer. And so then in the West Wing, they're all now like, well, do, do we have an answer? It's always difficult to be, to be given your own question. Right, which is what you just did. So, what is my Torah? Um, what is my Torah? Um, I think 
think my Torah is, you know what? Here's my Torah. I got it. When I was a kid, we had one a station wagon. And the back seat of the station wagon, you guys know what station wagons are? The back seat of the station wagon was reversed. So you, if you sat in the back seat, you were looking out the back window. And we'd sit in the back seat and we'd count the trees as we're going down the highway. I can remember this. And we'd go like this to the trucks to try and get them to honk their horn. And I knew where we were going. But I didn't know what roads we were going to take. I didn't know if we were going to have to stop and get gas. I didn't know if, we're, if there was going to be a pothole or an accident. I, I, I just trusted my dad to get us to our destination. And that's how I think about my relationship with God and life. I just, I'm a kid sitting in the back seat counting the trees. And I know where I'm going, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. And I don't know if there are going to be potholes along the way or accidents. And frankly, I don't want to know because I'm really busy counting the trees and trying to get the trucks to honk their horn. I just want to trust that God is going to get me there. And so I guess my Torah is give yourself the gift of trusting that God will get you where you need to go. And don't for a moment stop counting the trees. Wow. Bravo. That's beautiful. That should be written down if you want it to be. And, and yeah. Which brings us back to the wow. You're a yeah, very, very, of course. for a spiritual gangster, you're a very coherent and cohesive person, right? You brought us back. This is. Um, this is great, and especially from a rabbi to bring us back to the beginning, right? To the building blocks, and now bring it back to the wow. Yes, yeah. Shamati, bring us back to counting the trees. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Rabbi David Paskin, thank you. Beyond thank you. You're awesome. You're awesome. Miss Eve was at our school at Gansana yesterday, and was it yesterday? Yeah, no, it was Monday. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it was Wednesday. It was we Wednesday. Always... It was yesterday. Yesterday. It was yesterday. And I had teachers lined up at my door telling me how much the kids loved singing with Miss Eve. And the first thing this the first teacher came to me, she said, Does she have a day job? Can, can we hire her? I said, I think she's probably a little busy, but <laughs> she's coming back because you're doing yeah. a concert here for us. I'm so excited. A Hanukkah concert. Yes. Well, I watched it at the show. It's a it's a theatrical piece. Right. So, so it's, yeah, it's, it's my other hat and I, I just love doing those shows. And, you know, I grew up with theater and theater for kids was a big deal. And here I am struggling to find the kind of theater um, I grew up with. When I go to Argentina, when I used to go before the pandemic, I used to have like a blast going to the theater and, and taking my little one to, well, and, but, you know, hopefully more and more will come. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when we get to score. So I create a little bit of my own, and, and kids are just amazing. I mean, your teachers, and thank you for, for your comment, told you how much the kids had fun with me. They didn't tell you because they didn't know how much I yeah. enjoyed being with them. Yeah. yeah. It's just a joy. It's, it is. It always is. Yeah. 
I wonder what your favorite takeaways are. Please, friends, send your thoughts and questions to Torachon, T-O-R-A-H-T-R-O-N at gmail.com. And also through shalomiv.com, you can leave me a message. If you think of a friend who may enjoy this conversation, please share. You can also review us and follow our podcast. Thank you, Rabbi David, for inviting us to think deeply about raising kids in Judaism. Thank you to you, my friend, for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Shalom.